Uh, Please open your Bible up to Proverbs chapter 8. If you're using the church Bible, that's going to be on page 631. Last week, uh, a father in the book of Proverbs, who speaks throughout much of these opening chapters, picked apart the speech of a wayward son whom he had observed uh, seducing a senseless young man. It's a warning that we all need to hear as we're confronted daily with numerous seductive and distracting voices that would lead us down various paths we ought not travel. But that father's warning in Proverbs 7 was essentially negative. Watch out. Now in Proverbs 8, we hear a positive voice calling out over the cacophony of various seductive and distracting voices, the voice of wisdom herself. Proverbs 8 is a wonderful chapter and in some ways really the core of this opening section of the book of Proverbs. It begins at street level in the hustle and bustle of everyday life, in the grocery store, in the milking parlor, wherever it may be but it ends with a cosmic account of wisdom's role from the beginning of creation. Indeed, this chapter is so full that we're going to take two Sundays to consider all that wisdom has to say. As we read the first half of this chapter, you may notice something strange. The only explicit reference to God is in verse 13, where it references the fear of the Lord. And so we might think this is a little bit strange. It's a positive call from wisdom and yet there's little reference to God. And yet, at another level, this entire chapter is all about God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. In theological terms, we would say that wisdom is one of God's communicable attributes. Wisdom is a characteristic of which in God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, and yet can be shared or communicated to his creatures, to us humans. And so what we find in Proverbs 8 is a literary personification of one of God's attributes. God's attribute of wisdom speaks to us in the voice of Lady Wisdom. Listen now to the first part of Lady Wisdom's speech in Proverbs 8, 1 through 21. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals she cries aloud. To you, O man, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear. For I will speak noble things, and from my lips come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. 
By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting inheritance to those who love me, and filling their treasuries. This is God's word. As we uh, work through this passage, I want us to consider three questions. Who does wisdom call out to? How do we recognize wisdom's voice? And why should we listen to wisdom? First, who does wisdom call out to? Wisdom's call is universal. Wisdom's call is universal. Verses 1 through 5 tell us that wisdom calls everywhere, in everyday, the everyday world, to everyone. It's a universal call. Wisdom raises her voice to compete with daily activities, various distractions, seductive voices. Wisdom calls out from the high place beside the road to make sure that she's heard. Wisdom takes her stand at the crossroads, the point of decision where paths diverge. Wisdom cries out by the city gates as people enter the city to go about their business. They're confronted and challenged by wisdom. Notice uh, in this chapter, wisdom is not in the temple or the church. Wisdom is found in the realm of everyday life, not merely the religious sphere. Wisdom calls out in our daily lives as we go about our business, in the marketplace, at the town gates where court cases are heard. Wisdom is intensely practical and relevant to every realm of life. And indeed, wisdom's voice is heard in the various features of our daily life. For example, you may not realize it, but you're practicing wisdom when you cook a meal. You use discretion to select and reject different ingredients. You use insight to see how the raw ingredients can become, come together into a meal. So wisdom's call is universal. It's heard everywhere and in every realm of life. But wisdom's call is also universal in who she addresses. She calls out to men and women, but also to their children. She calls out even to the simple and the fools. We've met these characters a number of times in the book of Proverbs. The simple are those who are unshaped, unformed. They've yet to make a commitment either for or against wisdom. But wisdom doesn't disparage the simple. She invites them to come and learn prudence. Even fools, those who have rejected wisdom's way, are called to come to her and learn sense. This last phrase in verse 5, learn sense, is literally learn heart. It's a strange expression in English. The young man who was seduced in chapter 7 is also literally described as lacking heart, which our, our, our church Bibles translated as lacking sense. So idiomatically, we might say something like her call is, oh fools, come to your senses. But it's important to realize that wisdom is here targeting the heart, which in the Bible stands for the whole of our inner lives. Wisdom calls out to our reason, our minds, yes. But wisdom also addresses our emotions, our observations, our desires, our imagination. 
our whole inner lives, our hearts. In verses uh, 15 and 16, towards the end of this passage, we're told that kings and princes rule by wisdom. But this is not some special skill only available to royalty or the rich. Wisdom's call is universal. She cries out to adults and children, even the simple and fools. Friends, do you need wisdom? Do you hear wisdom's voice? She's looking for you, calling out to be heard. And what does she say? How do we hear wisdom's voice? It, it opens with this command in verse 6, Hear, listen, pay attention. But how do we recognize wisdom's voice? What should we be listening for? Well, verses 6 through 9 describe wisdom's words in six ways, which we can summarize as wisdom's words are moral. Wisdom's words are moral. There's an ethical character to wisdom's speech. First, wisdom says, listen, for I will speak noble things. Wisdom's speech is dignified. It has a regal beauty. Paul provides us with an apt commentary on what this means when he writes, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. These are the sorts of noble things that wisdom speaks. Second, wisdom says, Come what is right. Uh, wisdom involves the exercise of discernment, and so at times wisdom recognizes the need for nuance and for drawing careful distinctions. And yet wisdom never denies that there is such a thing as right and wrong. It never you know, has so much nuance that the right and wrong get lost. Wisdom speaks what is right with integrity. Third, wisdom will utter truth, what corresponds with reality. And you see in verse 7, it's contrasted, truth is not contrasted with falsehood, as we might expect, but with wickedness. Uh, you might recall, uh, if you've been here for the series, that in Proverbs, righteousness is, is advantaging the community to your own disadvantage, and wickedness is advantaging yourself to the disadvantage of the community or of others. It's, it's abominable to wisdom to use words that are technically true in a manner that is others for our own good. Uh, we do this when we say things that are technically true, uh, perhaps in a, you know, uh, I, I know none of you ever argue with your spouses, but people that do argue with their spouses sometimes will bring up true things in a context of an argument to sort of get leverage on their spouse. That's wicked, even if true. Uh, parents, if you bring up things your kids have done in the past as a way to shame them, to get power over them, it might be true things that they did, but that's wicked to use past reality to shame your children. Wisdom says that this sort of wickedness has a stomach-churning, repugnant taste, and so she won't even tolerate it on her lips. Fourth, all wisdom's words are righteous. That is, they benefit others, even at personal cost. By contrast, there's nothing twisted or crooked in wisdom's words. They're not tricky. In the garden in Genesis 3, the serpent is described as crafty. So uh, the serpent has a sort of wisdom. But his words are full of half-truths and insinuations that twist God's truth. 
not so true wisdom's words, which are utterly reliable. Fifth, wisdom's words are said to be straight. They point the way to life. Chapter 1 and the smooth words of the seductive woman in chapters 5 through 7. If you've been here through the series, you'll recall that the wicked man promised riches. Uh, uh, the, the seductive woman promises uh, all sorts of delights. And yet those ways ultimately lead to death. To borrow a phrase from Tolkien, these other voices seem fairer but feel fouler than wisdom's words. By contrast, wisdom is being a fool to behave in that way. And yet, wisdom's words ultimately lead us to a flourishing life. There's a challenge here for us. If we're going to grow in wisdom, we need to be careful about what voices are shaping our hearts, our inner lives. So let's reflect for a minute. What voices are you listening to? Are they consistently accurate? Are they truthful? Do they point the way to life? Or do the voices that influence you only tell half the story? Or do they use truth for selfish ambitions? Are the voices you're listening to righteous? Or do they consistently put themselves ahead of others? Are you listening to wise voices? Notice in verse 9, there's two comments about the hearer. Wisdom's words are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Uh, the Old Testament scholar Bruce Walkie comments, that which is known is inescapably relative to the knower, and knowing operates within spiritual commitments. If we're going to hear wisdom's voice, that is to say, we need to be or be becoming the right sorts of people. Wisdom's like an acquired taste. It, it, it's, we recognize it easier as we grow to like it more. What sorts of people should we be becoming to hear wisdom? Well, wisdom calls us to hear her voice and to take her discipline, and so become wise ourselves. So God's wise character should be being formed in our own lives. And that means that our own should be true and righteous and right and straight and upright. Wicked speech should be just as repugnant to us as it is to wisdom. Well, we might be wondering, why should we even listen to wisdom if her words can be hard and uncomfortable and many other voices vie for our attention. Here's the third truth that we need to see. We listen to wisdom because wisdom's gifts are vital. Wisdom's gifts are vital. Wisdom gives us what we need for a flourishing life. So she invites us in verse 10 to take her instruction, literally take her discipline onto us, onto ourselves, to accept her discipline. Wisdom offers self-discipline rather than self-indulgence. Take my discipline instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. And verse 19, wisdom promises, my fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. 
I wonder, friends, is this how we value things? Is wisdom more valuable to us than gold? Uh, this weekend when the markets closed, gold was at $55,055 a kilogram. Do you value wisdom more than that? If you're offered wisdom or $55,055, which one would you take? In verse 11, the narrator tells us uh, in the third person that wisdom is indeed better than jewels. Nothing you may desire compares with her. Wisdom is incomparably more valuable than anything else you might desire. It's an audacious claim, isn't it? So what does wisdom offer? Verse 12, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. We might paraphrase wisdom as saying, look, prudence is my roommate, and I know where knowledge and discretion hang out. I can introduce you to them all. Wisdom, prudence, knowledge, discretion, what a recipe for success. And yet, and yet, the successful, the shrewd, the knowing, the clever are those who tend most towards pride and arrogance. And so verse 13 carefully balances verse 12. They're two sides of a larger reality. True wisdom, verse 13 tells us, is intertwined with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs, uh, we've seen already, tells us that the fear of the Lord is both the beginning and the goal of wisdom. At their core, uh, pride and arrogance deny our created nature and try to set ourselves up as something more than mere creatures. But our wisdom and knowing and cleverness are kept in check from becoming pride and arrogance by the fear of the Lord, by recognizing where we stand before God, that we are God's creatures. So wisdom, prudence, knowledge, discretion, the ingredients for success must be held together with the fear of the Lord and a commitment to hate those things which wisdom hates. Pride, arrogance, the way of evil, and twisted speech. When we detect those things in our life, we must put them to death immediately. Don't let even a little bit of pride grow up. It'll take over your heart. In verses 14 through 16, wisdom offers vital skills for using power wisely in every sphere of life. We use power or exercise power to run businesses, for projects at work, to order our home, uh, for chores in our garden. Children, you may not recognize it or realize it, but you're actually exercising power when you organize your rooms and your backpacks, when you clean up after supper. Well, wisdom says in verse 14, I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. Everything necessary to exercise power well. Counsel is the ability to plan ahead, to divide a course of action. Here's what I'm going to do to accomplish my goals. What our Bible, uh, Pew Bibles translates as sound wisdom is resourcefulness, to carry the plan out, to react to uh, what comes up along the way. Insight is the perceptiveness necessary both to planning and to evaluating if things are going according to plan or if the plan needs revised. And strength is the necessary power and boldness to follow through on our plans. Wisdom offers these vital gifts to all who will listen to her words and take on her discipline. 
These are the same gifts that are used uh, uh, to exercise power even at the highest level of state. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is right. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. So from the throne rooms all the way down to cleaning our bedrooms, wisdom offers the, the skills necessary for using power well. This brief reflection on rulers and, and, and governors who govern justly has an important implication for Christians today living in a democracy where we select our government officials. That is to say, we cannot look at policies alone, but also need to consider candidates' character. Even if someone is advocating for policies and positions that fit with our Christian worldview, if their words are not noble, right, true, serving others, and accurate, if they are characterized by pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech, we need to be wary. They will not make wise rulers who govern justly. Of course, sometimes uh, we have to try and choose between not great options. And I'm not saying don't vote unless there's a candidate who perfectly fits this character here in Proverbs. But wisdom does mean we need to exercise discernment and we need to consider candidates' character as well as their policies. For wisdom is indeed necessary for uh, governing nations and wisdom is inextricably moral. Wisdom's vital gifts aren't only skills, but also include fruits in our life. Do you see verse 18? Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. Proverbs isn't offering us a shortcut to health and wealth. Indeed, Job and Jesus are both wiser than any of us and yet experience deprivation, disease, disaster, death. Okay, a wise life doesn't always lead to riches and honor and blessing. So we need to read verses like 18 and 20 in the larger context of the chapter and scripture as a whole. And yet, nevertheless, as we're going to see next week, wisdom is woven into the very fabric of reality. And so wise living is going with the grain of the universe, which often but not always leads to success, to prospering. So we can say wisdom tends toward prosperity. That's not the goal, though. Wisdom uh, the wise act because they fear the Lord and love him, because they want to serve their communities, not to seek wealth. Do you see wisdom offers enduring wealth, lasting wealth, and, and, and righteousness? This is not a flash in the pan, fortune today, gone tomorrow. It is slowly and patiently pursuing the way of wisdom which leads to character. And through wisdom, we become better and better off people. The section of wisdom speech then ends by returning to the connection between wisdom and morality. True wisdom is of no use to evil. Wisdom says, I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice. That's where you can find me, granting an inheritance to those treasuries. That'd be good, doesn't it? During wealth, full treasuries, wise living, but how do we get wisdom's gifts? Look at verse 17. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Wisdom is unfailingly faithful. If you love her, 
She will love you and never abandon you. Do you see we're back to the heart? Wisdom's appeal isn't merely to the intellect. Be smarter and I'll love you. No, wisdom calls for our affection. In verse 13, wisdom already called us to hate what she hates, and now gaining wisdom is pictured as being more like a love relationship than studying for an exam. Our affections, our desires, our love must be set on wisdom. And then the promise in the second part of 17, those who seek me diligently seeks us on the highway and highway, high places, the mountains, at the city, and so we search for wisdom. It is only in response to wisdom first searching for us, wisdom first seeking us. So we seek wisdom who's already seeking us, and if we seek her diligently, we will find her. Is this true? Does wisdom really seek us? What could that possibly mean? Friends, yes, it is true. Because the picture of wisdom seeking us in Proverbs 8 is literally fulfilled in Jesus. Proverbs 8 shows us a picture of God's own wisdom personified, seeking us, calling us. And Jesus himself is the power of God and the wisdom of God. In him, the fullness of God, all of God's character, all of his wisdom, was pleased to dwell. And yet Jesus, the wisdom of God, left the riches of heaven behind to come and seek us on the street, in the marketplace, in our daily lives. Through the good news of Jesus Christ, the divine word and wisdom made flesh, we come to understand what it truly means that God's wisdom graciously calls out to us everywhere in the everyday world to everyone. And so our search for wisdom is a response to wisdom's search for us, a response to Christ Jesus. Truly, we begin with a personal relationship by setting our hearts, our affections, our desires, our love on Jesus. And so as we conclude, hear verse 17 again as Jesus' own call to you. Jesus says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, your wisdom is indeed infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And yet you share your wisdom with us. Indeed, your wisdom seeks us out and calls out to us. And in Christ, the fullness of your wisdom became flesh and came to find us. Let us then respond well to the voice of wisdom, to the voice of Jesus calling out to us. Let us indeed be those who love you, who seek you diligently. May our affections, our desires, our love be set upon you. And as we love you, may you shape us into wise people whose words are moral, who exercise power well for your glory and for the service of others. 
we thank you that you offer to us wisdom, even those of us who are simple and foolish. You challenge us to come and be corrected. May we accept your discipline and hear your voice this morning. Amen.